Welcome in to another episode of Back and Forth. I'm your host, Stat Matt, here with Joey G. Fresh off the first game of the UNLV football season. If you tuned in yesterday, you heard us talking about the preview for this game. And now we got one game in the books. I don't know what to really make of this one game. It was kind of a roller coaster ride for UNLV. Yeah, I mean, uh, FC, another uh, FCS opponent beating uh, UNLV football. That sounds about right. That's about par for the course. Yes, UNLV. Uh, that's the third time in the last 10 years, I believe. So now we, I talked about it yesterday. It was Southern Utah in 2010. Um, Northern Arizona, I want to say in 2013, 14-ish. And then now in 2021, you got uh, uh, Eastern Washington coming in and beating UNLV in overtime. Yeah, and it was a game that was, um, it, it almost had a tale of two halves. If we look at the first half, uh, there wasn't a lot of scoring. It was 6-3 to three at halftime. Like, no joke, that was the, the halftime score, 6-3. to three. I think UNLV was up. And the final score ended up being 35-33. So, the overtime helped. The over- yeah, the, the overtime definitely uh, chipped in there. But definitely a lot more scoring in the second half, and... With UNLV, it's more of a question of where do you even start? Um, You have a lot of question marks on offense. I think some were answered last night. I I would say that moving forward, if Coach Arroyo has any common sense, Doug Brunfield should be the QB1 for this team without a doubt. I don't even know how he came to the conclusion that Justin Rogers was the starter after seeing him play last night. Um his vision is terrible. Uh, his timing is terrible. Uh, there was plenty of times last night where he would just drop back and he would just sit there. And then, you know, he would just kind of scramble around or he'd get sacked or he would just make a bad throw. I don't think UNLV threw any interceptions last night, to my knowledge. I believe they may have thrown one, but it was later on. Oh, okay, so they threw one pick, but um, I left early, so <laughs> spoiler alert. But anyway, uh, yeah, Justin Rogers. I don't, I don't understand how he got the starting job. Uh, Doug Brunfield, he didn't play all that fantastic, but he definitely played a lot better, and he wasn't scared to throw the football at the end of the day. Um, I believe 9 of 21, 150 yards around that area. Uh, definitely outplayed Justin Rogers. And then, again, Tate Martell is not even on the QB uh, depth chart, I believe. Yeah, that's right. That was something that um, doing the radio broadcast for UNLV last night, I noticed that and because they have a big sheet and it has all the depth charts listed and who's you know available. You know they have obviously your starters um, in bold and then the backups and so forth. And Tate Martell nowhere to be found on that quarterback depth chart for UNLV. It was uh, Justin Rogers um, and Doug Brunfield kind of both bold. They weren't sure who was going to start. And then I believe Christian Thiel, uh, if I got that right, he's a true freshman. So. If that doesn't tell you what UNLV thinks about Tate Martell, uh, that they're willing to put a true freshman in the depth chart over Tate, something tells me that either something's going on in camp, in practice, something is not right. Is he just too new, maybe? Because this is his last year of eligibility, right? Yeah, but I mean, you you have to imagine, right, that a guy like Tate Martell, you at least put him on the depth chart. I understand if you don't want to start him right away, but to not even make the depth chart. And he wasn't anywhere else to be found. He was listed as a quarterback on the actual roster, but he wasn't like under a receiver or running back, a tight end, anything like that. He wasn't even like in on, on any of the position depth charts. So to me, 
I would start to wonder then what's going on in practice is are we seeing are we not seeing something that's happening in practice that you know is going on whether it's you know on Tate's side the coaching staff side who knows but I definitely thought that was a little bit suspicious that Tate wasn't even listed on the quarterback depth chart he I mean he can't be much worse than how Rodgers played last night so I mean even even I, I think moving forward whether he was on the depth chart or not Doug Brumfield has to be the quarterback one. I mean, Doug yeah. Brumfield, he came into the second half, and he wasn't scared to throw the ball. I mean, the first play of the game, or first play of the second half that he had gotten in, he, I think it was a passing play, and it was a fairly deep passing play. You know, most quarterbacks would, you know, elect to do a couple handoffs, get warmed up. Doug Brumfield went right in there and let it fly early and often, and it showed. I mean, Doug Brumfield had a lot more confidence than Justin Rogers. And he was willing to take some more chances. And I think as a quarterback, you know, you got you have to do that in college football. Yeah, some of those chances may end up in, you know, an incomplete pass or an interception, maybe even a fumble on the quarterback side, but at least be able to take those chances. And that's something Doug Brunfield did a much better job of than Justin Rogers. And also the running game uh, was a lot better once Doug, Brun- uh, Doug Brunfield got into the game. Charles Williams... I believe in total last night had a fantastic game finished with 27 carries, 172 yards, and uh, three touchdowns. But um, he was able to get more into a rhythm, and you're able you're able to see more of those breakout runs by Charles Williams once Doug Brugfield got into the game, and uh, the UNLV offense started rolling a little bit. And you know, if he maybe started from the beginning, we're having a different discussion that UNLV is able to squeak that one out by you know 10, 11 points, or I don't know, however much they may have ended up winning the game by, but. When he came in, UNLV was down 620, and he was able to get you know them on a 14-0 run and get them in overtime. And overtime, they were go they went into two overtimes and obviously didn't go their way. But uh, going in Arizona State, yeah, that Doug Bungfield has to be the starting quarterback. I mean, they might they might go Rodgers again the first the first quarter. That wouldn't surprise me because they did the same thing last season uh, with San Diego State. Mm-hmm. They put um. They started Justin Rogers initially to start the game. Then Kenyon Noblad went in, and Kenyon Noblad started outplaying uh, Justin Rogers. And then the second game of the season, which I believe was against UNR, uh, Justin Rogers went out and started the game in the first half. And then you saw Kenyon Noblad start getting snaps again around in the second half. So I don't know if they'll do that again. That doesn't make much sense to me, but that's just what Marcus Royal did last year. So we'll have to wait and see what they do against uh, Arizona State. But overall. You know, a really embarrassing, embarrassing loss for UNLV. I mean, this was your really true chance to get off to a one and zero start and maybe get some momentum going. And like we said yesterday, this team's projected to finish at, or in the sports book, they have them at one and a half wins. And one of those wins was going to be this game. Mm-hmm. ESPN has them going one and eleven, and the one win they had them winning was last night, and they dropped that game. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be negative and overreact over one game, but if they continue to play like that. This team can very well uh, go 0 and 12. I Marcus Rowe could have two winless seasons under his belt. He could be 0 and 18 in his first two years at UNLV because their next their next best shot at winning a game is going to be Utah State, and that's on the road. Like, are they able to go up to Logan, Utah, and steal a win up there? Like, they have not had much luck playing there in general. There's been they've played some like not so good Utah State teams on the road before. And they've got absolutely, as Matt likes to say, you know, boat race. They've lost by 20, 30 points when they could very well put up a fight against those guys at home. UNLV football's just never been a good road team anyway. They went a whole three years without winning a road game. Uh, so, yeah, their, their best shot at winning a game is going to be on the road. And I don't think they even pulled that one off. Yeah. I mean, you look at it, 
um, I mean, you know, just to put in perspective for people that may have, you know, over one and a half wins, I think a lot of people were, were making that bet assuming that they were going to get one last night. They figured if you get Eastern Washington, then it's just finding one game in conference. Now you have to go and find pretty much two games in conference. I mean, their schedule gets a little thin. I mean, what do you, maybe New Mexico and Air Force are your two wins in conference? Maybe. Um, Air Force is in the slouch. They're, they, they're always competitive. New Mexico has probably gotten a little bit better. So, I mean, I, I'd like to think that those are probably, if you're looking in conference, maybe you're two. As Joey said, maybe you look at something like. That's on the road, though, too, right? New Mexico? I believe so. And I, I want to say Air Force is on the road, too. Yeah, their best shots at wins this year Utah State, Air Force, and New Mexico. All on the road. So They're not winning Air Force, I can tell you that. Altitude, it's going to be cold. UNLV's never played, you know, good in that atmosphere. I mean, you're in Vegas, so yeah, not used to playing in in snow and yeah, freezing me, temperatures. Yeah, and their their home games are really difficult moving forward. I mean, you've got Iowa State coming in on the 18th, you know, a couple weeks, and then you follow that up with, I believe, I want to say UTSA. No, UTSA is on the road. Oh, at home, yeah, they got Iowa State. Don't they play? Um, they play Iowa State at home. San Diego State at home. I believe San Diego State. They've got, I believe, Hawaii coming in. Boise? Uh, is Boise coming in? I this don't year? think I don't think UNLV plays Boise this year. Um I don't Thank God. Yeah, I, right. That'd be another that'd definitely be another loss. Oh, San Jose State will be oh, yeah, here. Well, uh, never mind. <laughs> and then you're looking at the home schedule, right? I mean, like I was looking at it yesterday, I'm like, yeah, Eastern Washington might be their only home win. And so yeah, they got Iowa State, who's seventh in the country. Mm-hmm. San Jose State, who very well could be ranked by then. Yep. Uh, Hawaii, San Diego State, and I'm missing another one in here. I think that's it. Yeah, I think San Diego State would be the last home game. Yeah. So, so there you go. I mean, out of those teams, who do you even look at to maybe get a Hawaii's home win? Hawaii's the best. Yeah, like, I, I don't say, even think they beat Hawaii. I would say maybe Hawaii in a barn burner, because that's usually how UNLV beats Hawaii is by scoring a bazillion points. Yeah. Um, San Diego State, maybe for a half. I don't know. It, it, this team is very questionable at the moment. And I mean, to C- Charles Williams' credit, he did pass the 3,000 yard mark last night for his career rushing yards. So I believe only the third or fourth UNLV player to ever do that. I don't know why he didn't transfer. Seriously. Like, I don't know why he came back to you. Like, I'm not, I'm not knocking him for it, but he had an opportunity to probably go play somewhere where, I mean, he's at least going to win a game. <laughs> Yeah. This guy hasn't won a game since, what, 2019 at UNLV? Yeah. Almost then, two years? Well, and you saw in the first half, I mean, if it wasn't for Charles Williams, I don't think UNLV scores any points. Yeah, I mean, no. he, he was getting a lot of chunk yards um, and really carrying that offense down the field the best he could. Uh, one thing I noticed about UNLV that I was actually impressed with was the improved defense. Uh, their defense had been a little suspicious in previous years, at least through this first game. I was I was pleased with their effort. Um, and it just, to me, I mean, you could say, yeah, you know, they fell apart in over, overtime, but I think part of that was they were on the field so much because their offense just kept stalling out drive after drive after drive that by the time you get to overtime, they are gassed. Um, so I would say probably the first three and a half, almost four quarters of that game, UNLV's defense held, held its own and they were coming up with big plays. They had a strip, uh, fumble on the kickoff return that set up UNLV in the red zone to tie the game up. I think it was, they had just kicked a field goal to make it 12 to 20 and then they get the fumble recovery on the kickoff return 
and they punch it in, I think, the next play, all of a sudden it's 20-20. to 20. So UNLV's defense was trying its best to help set the offense up any way they could. And Interception they were, at the end of the first half. They had a, they had two interceptions in yeah. that game. So, I mean, UNLV's defense, they were coming to play last night, and I, I enjoyed what I saw overall as a whole. I mean, yeah, they had a couple plays in coverage where they probably got beat, but it looked a lot better than it had in years past. And one of the, Another play that UNLV really got beat on was um, when that interception happened at the end of the, the the second quarter and UNLV was around the 29-yard line. They had about th- like three minutes, right, two mm-hmm. and a half minutes to go 29 yards and at least get a touchdown. And they got to like within the five-yard line and just the play calling got really bad within the five-yard line. And UNLV, they should have just gone for it, honestly, at the end of this. They were on the two-yard line. Yeah, I mean, that's something I noticed in the broadcast, and I think I even mentioned it to uh, Ray, who I was doing the uh, play-by-play with. I was like, this is a, that's a mistake that you would see out of a young team, just not managing the clock well because they had called timeout. It was about 26 seconds left. So you imagine if you pass the ball, you get probably three or four decent plays out of it if you operate quick enough. And they think they ran the ball on that play. and or either They either ran the ball or it was like a quick pass, but it was inbounds. And that was the only play they ran at that 26-second mark until they ran the clock all the way down. They call a timeout, kick a field goal. But that's kind of an example where you should have six over three. And, you know, that, that those are opportunities you have to capitalize on. And looking back on it, if they go, they get a touchdown on that drive instead of a field goal, they win this game. You know, it's the little things I think that was hurting UNLV the most. And you can tell that this team is very still young and inexperienced. They were getting a lot of those young and inexperienced type penalties. I mean, you had a dead ball personal foul penalty, I believe, in unsportsmanlike conduct. You had like false starts like three plays in a row. You had two delay, I believe, two delay a game penalties. You had Noel Williams, who was playing well up to the point he got ejected in the first quarter for targeting. So that was a bad call. Eh, I mean, the replay, I could see why they threw the penalty because he it, it went helmet to helmet. So but I like I get he it. wasn't he wasn't targeting his his you know his helmet like it was he was going after. I he was making a play. I think he wasn't like it wasn't like what. Josh or Odell Beckham Jr. did to Josh Norman a few years ago where he ran straight You mean his, murder? <laughs> yeah, like that was murder. Like it was – I think he was just making a play. Like he wasn't yeah. specifically targeting his head. I think that was a really bad call. But um, kind of going, you know, to the fans or whatnot of, of the game last night. I mean, it was a – for only selling lower bowl seats, it was a pretty well-attended game. They reported almost 22,000. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't – that was more than Sam – like Sam Boyd would average around 17, 16K a game. So, I mean, that wasn't bad. There was a lot of Eastern Washington fans there, but we – It was a sea of red, so I, you can't really <laughs> yeah, differentiate. I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell. So, it was all UNLV fans to me. But um, a lot of people were getting upset about that, you know, it was only 22K and that there weren't people up in the, the nosebleeds or in the, the middle section. And a lot of people were upset at uh, the fans, I guess, including myself, that that left a little bit early in the game. Uh-huh. And to that I say, you know, UNLV wasn't giving anyone a reason to come, and UNLV wasn't giving anyone a reason to stay. They're playing bad football. You're down 6-20. to 20. And remember, it's a Thursday night. That is a school night, and it's also people who have work in the morning tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And it's a 7 o'clock kickoff. Right. Like, why... Why, why would people – you have to give people a reason to leave their house on a Thursday night to stay at a football stadium till 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night mm-hmm. to come watch a football team play. UNLV didn't win a game last year. They're projected to finish last in the conference this season. And to the people that showed up, they were losing 6-20 to 20 against an FCS school. And UNLV wasn't moving the ball. There was no 
it was hard to watch that team play last night. And this was against Eastern Washington. Like we haven't even gotten to the to the good opponents we're going to play this year. Like next week, Arizona State, Iowa State, UTSA, San Diego State. All this was against Eastern Washington. You know, he was struggling to make plays. You weren't giving people a reason to stay. And that's the same. It goes the same with UNLV basketball and football. You got to give people a reason to come and show up. People are not going to sacrifice their Tuesdays, Thursdays, Friday nights to come watch a atrocious UNLV football team play. The only reason I they really got 22k last night was because it's Allegiant Stadium, and a lot of people wanted to come and check out the stadium. After Iowa State, it's going to be just like Sam Boyd. It's going to be an empty building. Yeah. I think you look at it and I mean, 22 K, I mean, on the surface, that's good, but you also got to remember there's no hockey going on in town. The Raiders aren't playing that night. The, I don't even think the aviators or the aces were playing in town. So you look at it and no competition. There was no competition. Imagine if you have a golden Knights game going on down the street at T-Mobile, you're going to have nobody. I mean, it's, it's sad to say, but until unless this team starts winning football games on a consistent basis, nobody's going to come. It's been the same story we've said all along, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, whatever it is for UNLV athletics, just there is nobody coming to these games because, to Joey's point, these teams don't give the fans a reason to come. There's You know, the Golden Knights, they give fans a reason to come. You go to the game... And, you know, every night that you're driving to the T-Mobile Arena, you know, the Golden Knights have a pretty good chance to win that game. Every and time the you, atmosphere, win or lose, like, it's something you want to be a part of. Yeah, and every time you go to the UNLV football games or basketball games, there's a good chance they're going to lose. <laughs> it's the exact opposite. And so I think people, you know, they're tired of spending their money and their time investing into something that, you know, is got a consistently poor result and that being UNLV football. And again, like Joey said, I think a lot of this, like you said, was Allegiant Stadium, probably a lot of Raider fans that, you know, maybe can't afford to go to the Raiders games or, you know, due to whatever circumstance they may have, aren't able to go. So they figured, you know, at least go see the stadium, stay till halftime and then, you know, dip out. And I don't blame you if you left at halftime. It was a pretty boresome first half. I mean, it wasn't really exciting. There weren't really big plays on either side. They were pretty much just trading punts back and forth. So from a fan's perspective, I get it that you want to leave because fans typically want offense. They they could care less about defense, essentially. You know, you, you want to see big plays, uh, you know, touchdowns, long drives, all that. And there was really none of that in the first half. So, I mean, I believe it was, uh, you know, somebody on the um, radio, UNLV radio broadcast uh, for the uh, the normal one on the FM uh, was commenting about that, you know, that, you know, the fans were leaving and, and I, I mean, I get that, you know, a lot of those broadcasters are, you know, maybe, maybe former UNLV alums or former players, but at the end of the day, like you said, if you're not giving people a reason to stay in their seats, they're not going to, especially in this town. No, um, plenty of other things to do to Vegas on in Vegas on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or, you know, whatever the night may be. Uh, and, UNLV's just got to do a better job of getting people to sh- like. You got to do a better job than posting dancing videos at practice to get people to show up. Like that's that's UNLV's idea of marketing for basketball and football. They do like these little like dance or they, they, they do the dancing videos. They do like the run it back series, the behind the scenes, which get like no views. It gets like 
400 views on YouTube. And like, that's not going to get anyone to come. Like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta bring in some notable players and you got to start winning games and you got to have an exciting brand of football or basketball, or whatever it may be for people to want to show up. And the atmosphere at UNLV is not anything that's even remotely close to an atmosphere at a Golden Knights game or an atmosphere at a Raiders game or even an atmosphere at an Aviators game. It's because Aviators games, I'm not a big baseball guy, but they they draw me to come to those games. Like I have fun when I go to Las Vegas ballpark and I watch the Aviators games. And, you know, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a big baseball guy. So they, they know how to do it. The, the Raiders know how to do it. The Golden Knights how to do it. And UNLV just can't seem to... Uh, they think the run it back series and the, the dancing videos on Instagram are going to get people like, oh, I should come watch this team play. And it's just not going to happen. I mean, I think they're doing a little bit of a better job with the scheduling. But at the end of the day, is, is UNLV even ready to play these guys? Because these fans are going to show up and they're going to see UNLV lose 7-59 to against Iowa State. And they're like, oh, my God, this team is terrible. Yeah. So, I mean. Well, I mean, you have to look around college football, right? Do you see Alabama or Clemson or any notable team in college football doing this type of stuff? No. There's a reason they're not because, because they don't need to promote themselves. Like they, people know it, who they are. And if anything, like those teams, I would say, could do that if they wanted to because they've earned that right, earned that respect. UNLV hasn't earned anything. They haven't even earned a win under Marcus Arroyo. Zero and seven right now. People in- were like, <laughs> people were like, UNLV fun. That was his first single-digit loss in his career at UNLV so all of his losses have been double digit so last night was his first single digit lost his closest game and quite frankly it could have been double digits I mean UNLV they caught so many good breaks in that game I mean you had they they could have lost that game in regulation had it not been for the the missed kick from the eastern Washington kicker shanks it I think wide left and it's like that that's the type of stuff that they got super fortunate on because there were so many opportunities I think for Eastern Washington just to put UNLV in the dust and I mean to UNLV's credit they fought back but they also at that same juncture got a lot of lucky breaks and um, you know some missed kicks from Eastern Washington I mean I think on the night that kicker had missed three field goals so you make those three that's nine points that's a you know, probably a double digit win for Eastern Washington. And it's just one of those, you know, you don't really know how to feel about it with UNLV because you want to say that this team had fight, but at the same time, like I said, a lot of it was just, you know, good luck going their way. And now they have a tall task in about eight days going to on the road to Arizona state and a program that has been vastly improved since uh, Herm Edwards got there. I mean, Herm Edwards top twenty-five team has done a immaculate job with Arizona State since he's gotten there. I think the first year he got there was like six and six, and th- that team has just gotten better and better every year. And UNLV, well, they're they're still about the same. Actually, they're worse than I would take a Tony Sanchez team over this team any day of the week. Well, Tony Sanchez didn't start off zero and seven. At least Tony Sanchez's career. team, you know. We were two and five under Sanchez. So it's funny. I, I was talking to people and they said, yeah, you know, I've, I was listening to Arroyo talk and he has to be the most unmotivational person I've ever listened to. Tony, at least Tony Sanchez got something out of his guys. Like Tony Sanchez was able to fire his guys up. You know, a lot of Tony Sanchez's teams, they came to play. This team didn't come to play last night, plain and simple. I mean, it's an FCS opponent at the end of the day. There is no excuse why you are losing to an F- FCS opponent. I mean, I get it; they're a decent one, but still, 
you know, if you're going to be in Division One football, you have to win these games. And I believe if uh, fans wanted to really get rid of uh, Arroyo this year, I believe his buyout is $3.1 million, somewhere around that area. I think if it's another 0 and whatever season, 0 and 12 in this like, case. going to come? You know, 0 and 12, 0 and 6 the first year. I mean, that's 0 and 18. To me, that's a fireball offense. Like it is, but who's with that money that they're going to spend a buyout? Marcus Arroyo. Who are they going to bring in? They're going to bring back Tony Sanchez. I would be okay with that at this point. I mean, point. that's their that's their best option. Probably that's probably their only new a, new AD. So Tony doesn't have to deal with DRF. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like Matt said, like we got more out of Tony Sanchez's teams, and like Tony Sanchez wasn't the greatest coach by any means, but. Um, Having a year of TJ Alts or having two years of TJ Altsberger and then having now year two of Marcus Arroyo, we now look back and are like, man, maybe Menzies and uh maybe Menzies and Tony Sanchez wasn't so bad. I think that they both were stabilizers for their program. Yeah. We we knew that Marvin Menzies wasn't the long term answer, and quite frankly, I think we even understood that maybe Tony Sanchez isn't the long term answer, but they're consistently producing. And they're keeping the program at a consistent level. It's not really – It's I get it, it's not on the rise, but they're also not letting it dip down either. I mean, Tony Sanchez's teams were consistently in that 4-8 and eight to 5-7 and seven range every year. This it's a team, lot better than going winless. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he's got a lot of question marks on their team, and it's uh, – personally, I think it's going to be a rough year for them. I mean, I hope we're just overreacting over one game, but it's really not one game. It's the, the six games last year. You don't bring back a whole lot of guys. It's a young team. And even uh, like Matt was saying, like you watch Marcus Arroyo and it's just like, I mean, I don't, I can't, I can't get behind that. Like if I'm a player, like I'm not, I can't get behind that guy. Like that guy can't get me to run through a brick wall. I mean, I would see Tony Sanchez talk and I'm like, wow. I mean, Tony Sanchez sure knows how to motivate, but I mean, he can't coach, but you know, he knows how to motivate and you look at Arroyo and it's like, this guy can't do both. So, right. Um, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens with the the Rebels. They got a tough one next week against Arizona State. Arizona State beat uh, F- FCS opponent Southern Utah pretty convincingly, fourteen to forty one at home. So close game. Close game. We'll see what they do to UNLV, <laughs> who's struggling to beat these guys. So right. Overall, good night for the Big Sky. I mean, UC Davis uh, got a win, I think, against Tulsa. Yeah. And then Eastern Washington got a win, and then. Southern Utah didn't lose by as much as people were expecting them to lose by. So, I mean, pretty – they went 2-1. and one. Not a bad night for the big sky. Couldn't have said it better myself. But that's going to do it for us here on this Friday edition of Back and Forth. We're back on the radio. Actually, no, not on Monday. Monday's a holiday, Labor Day. So uh, you'll have a podcast edition coming out probably, I would imagine, Tuesday. Might see if uh, our old buddy Dom can come by for a podcast edition since uh, he's abandoned us on the radio. So might have to get Dom in for a couple podcast episodes. But nonetheless, we'll be back next week with more content. Enjoy your weekend. There's a bunch of college football. I'm sure we'll break it all down for you coming up next week. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter at BackForthPod. Instagram is at BackForthPodcast. I'm on both platforms at MattRaftry925. Joey is at JoeyGuyEgos13. Enjoy the weekend, and we'll talk to you next week.